This is Jessica. And this is Kelly. And this is the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode where we talk about solo travel with my good friend, Emily McCauley. She is passionate about travel and design with particular interest in small spaces, design that promotes well-being, and creating environments that allow us to live our best lives. In addition to holding master's degrees in both social work and law from the University of Pennsylvania, she has been working towards earning a certificate in interior design at Moore College of Art and Design. When she isn't planning travel adventures or undertaking renovation projects, she can be found at her full-time job as a higher education university administrator. Emily is so inspiring with her goals of living minimally and prioritizing travel. Join us as we hear about her life, her history, and her trips and tips on solo travel. Welcome, Emily. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> I can't even with your degrees. I'm like, when did she go to the law? Right. She get the law degree. <laughs> like, I mean, you, just going to Penn anyway is impressive. And then you just got some more degrees. So it's not JD. So I'm not a lawyer, uh, um, but it's Penn has a master's degree in law. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I did part time while I was working there with the tuition benefits. So yeah. it, it might be why I'm single because for fun, I decided I would get <laughs> a master's degree in law. So. <laughs> that, but that's crazy, though. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. That just sounds so fascinating. Is that anything that um, you use or, or that so, helps you in your work or anything? It does. I ended up, it's, it was a really cool degree and I ended up choosing classes that were related to higher education. So I feel like I didn't use it for a career change, but I can do my job better. So I took higher education law and anytime we had an opportunity to do a project of our choice, I would pick a topic related to higher ed. So I like to think I'm a little bit better, but even when I sell furniture on Craigslist or something now, I'm like, oh, I better think about how I want to market this and what I'm actually telling people because they could hold me to it. So yeah. like everyone should learn the law. There's a lot of nuances. <laughs> totally. I think that's so cool. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Thanks. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, you know, what inspires you to live minimally and focus on travel? Yeah. So I'm not sure how far back it's helpful to go, but back in fourth grade. <laughs> no, we love it. How about uh, yeah. deep, Emily? Let's do yeah. this. So um, I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, and that was to be an architect. And even finding things from middle school that say, when I grow up, I want to be fill in the blank. And mine was architect. Everyone knew I wanted to be an architect. And when other kids were playing soccer, I was drawing blueprints and reading remodeling magazines. And And for Christmas, I would get drafting supplies. Like, I really wanted to be an architect. And it was definitely a passion. Spoiler alert, I am not an architect and did not end up doing that. But design has always been something that I'm really interested in. And in high school, when I would babysit, I would take babysitting jobs for new families in town. And there is a very... um, wealthy part of the town that I grew up in with just these amazing houses. And I'd be like, oh, if I babysit for them, I get to see their house. And the kids would go to bed and I would just walk through and be like, so this is how they set up the floor plan. Like, again, very nerdy, but something that I always really loved. So got sidetracked along the way as things often happen. Um, 
and ended up getting a social work degree and moving to Philadelphia and ended up getting married. And the other thing I should say is that I've always been a planner. Like, Jess, you know me, you've known me for a while, like very type A, like if you do X and Y, like the following will happen. Spreadsheets are my love language, like love to plan everything out. Um, so I was married and we bought our kind of forever home. It was a dream home in the suburbs, this beautiful stone front center hall colonial. It had five bedrooms and three and a half bathrooms. And it was on a half acre of this beautiful property and a screen porch and a back staircase. I mean, truly my dream home, like absolutely great. And it was only the two of us when we moved in and we were planning to have kids and that ended up not working out. I mean, that could be a whole other podcast in and of itself, but so we were married for four years and didn't have kids and ended up getting divorced. And it was, you know, a difficult time as it usually is when you're getting divorced. And, and when that ended and we were, we'd already decided that we were getting divorced and needed to sell our house. And it happened very fast for Pennsylvania um, timelines. So it was about three or four months, I think, between the time we first said the words, we should get divorced and the time that, we filed paperwork and so that was in February that it started and we were divorced by July, like officially with the court decree and all of that. So had to, had to sell the house. And in the meantime, um, but there was a day probably in March or April where I was like, I need a break. Like I just have to get away. Like, and so literally ran away to Spain. (laughs) I think it was in a moment of what would get me away from everything that I've been through. I can't go through this and show up for work and have people be like, how are you doing today? Or be around people who know what has happened. And I just needed a change of scenery and I just needed something different. And I took French in high school and college, but haven't spoken it in years. And I had tried to teach myself Spanish um, through learning through CDs, like teach yourself Spanish in your car, I think was the way it was. And actually they were CDs, but it was so long ago that I had to plug the CD player in with one of the cassette players to like get the CD player to work. It was that long ago, Um, but learned a lot of Spanish that way. And when we were in graduate school, um, ended up going to Spain for a summer to take Spanish classes. And I remember I had, that. And where yeah. in Spain, I remember you did that. And where in Spain did you go? So I did a month in Madrid and a month in Sevilla. So wow. in both cities, I found a Spanish language school that was great. And so it would be Spanish classes in the morning and then cultural activities in the afternoon. And the teachers would take us to museums or field trips and they would be in Spanish. But some afternoons we had off and you would just meet up with other kids from the class and I don't know, go walk along the river, go get lunch or something. So it was really, really neat. Um, And I I had thought about studying abroad when I was in college, but I liked my undergrad experience so much. I didn't want to give up a year there. And remember at that time that some of the administrators had said, you know, this is the only time you'll get to do that. If you don't do it now, you're kind of giving up your chance. Life is going to get in the way. And so when I went that summer in grad school, I was kind of thinking, I'm going to prove them all wrong. Like I'm going to do my study abroad experience in a slightly different way and certainly not for a year, but I'm going to do that. So you're you're right, though. I think I I don't I do think that we in America, we're definitely like, once you start that work job. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. your life forever, and you'll mm-hmm. never be able to right. have fun like you did <laughs> right. like before you graduated. You know, like we have really good friends. Um, they live in New Zealand now. Uh, one is from Australia, one is from New Zealand, and in that country, right? It's like, yeah, yeah you travel all the time. You get like two months off, and you get a right. tradition. Right. That 
But like, you're totally right. That was, I studied abroad and that was the message because Kelly was older and didn't. And she was like, you have to, if you don't go, you'll never have this opportunity. Right. (laughs) So I think like that was really, really weighing on me. It's like, I don't know, like I need to get it in while I can. So So when my life was falling apart and was getting divorced and trying to figure out where I was going to run away to, I was like, well, I speak a little bit of Spanish and I've been to Spain before, so I'll just go there. And I Mm -hmm. did a little bit of Googling and I was like this. um, So I ended up going to Valencia Mm. for about five weeks. I was like, they have a beach, they have a Spanish class, they have a cute apartment on Airbnb. That's as much planning as I can do right now because I'm completely drained and exhausted. Um, So showed up and I was like, all right, like here I am. Um, And I got very lucky because I hadn't used a lot of vacation time at work in a while. So I had about five weeks and I think they took pity on me given that, you know, I kept joking that my life is falling apart. And so I was able to take five weeks off at once um, with the caveat that every now and then I checked in and there were a couple of big projects I needed to touch base on while I was there. So it wasn't 100% five weeks off, but for the most part, I, I got five weeks off. So that was my first real abroad experience because when I had gone in graduate school, I stayed with a host family that my mom had known and lived with a family. So it wasn't, they picked me up at the airport. Like it wasn't completely solo. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I, after I got divorced, I just needed to be alone. And it ended up being an amazing experience though, because I met all of these other people at the Spanish school that I did from all over the world. And turns out there's actually a lot of recently single or divorced women who are like, I'm going to go to Spain and and just get away from it all. So had a really, really great time there. And then I came back and settled into my new life of being divorced and obviously had moved out of this five bedroom house um, and got an apartment in Center City that was 850 square feet, about 800 square feet. So looking back on it, like that's a really good size apartment for a single person. Um, And I kind of splurged a little bit and had fun decorating it, but I had a lot lot of stuff. And even when we were moving, getting ready to sell the house, the amount of stuff that my ex-husband took, that I put in storage, that we sold, that my parents took, that we gave away. I think definitely more of it was my ex-husband's. But looking back on it now, we had an attic full of stuff that probably in our attic alone, there were more possessions than I have in my entire living space now like just so much stuff Mm -hmm. so by necessity I couldn't have it all right I no longer had that big house and had to get rid of some of it and so started this slow journey of what do I need to get rid of what reminds me of my marriage what is new what fits in my new space so I can make it really kind of fit the way I want in this new start Um, and then that combined with the fact that I've always had this passion for architecture and design and and just starting over so that apartment was a little bit of a luxury and I couldn't afford it for like the ongoing, okay, now I'm single and I only have one salary. Um, so when I needed to move out of there, I moved to a 500 square foot apartment, actually with the same landlord that I have. He has a couple of buildings and he has beautiful old buildings. So when he showed it to me, it was really dark. It was really kind of dingy. And I was like, it's okay. I'll take it. Like, I want to stay in the neighborhood. It'll be great. And the day I got the keys, I walked in and I started to cry. And I was like, I can't believe I decided I was going to move to this space. Like, this is going to be really depressing. It faced north. There wasn't a lot of light. It had some dark wood in it. Um, But I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to have to make it nice and was able to really 
kind of put some effort into it and with paint and transforming it and just working on the layout. I was like, this is great. And it was really satisfying when friends came over. They're like, oh my God, you have the most amazing apartment. Like, this is so beautiful. And I was like, thank you. Like it didn't start off that way. So I'm going to appreciate that. And, and thank you for the, for the compliment. So lived there and then decided I needed to own a place, right? Because that's the path to becoming really independent and being a grown up and financially secure and stable is to own a place and not keep renting. So looked for a while and had a little bit of money that I had for a down payment and worked with the bank to get pre-approved. And again, because I love spreadsheets, I had done my budget and I was like, this is how much I can afford in a monthly payment. And then what the bank said I could afford was like way more than that. And I was like, well, they, they're the experts. They must know what I can afford. Like, okay, this is what I need to do. But my spreadsheet really makes me think I'm not gonna be able to afford this went forward with it. And like a year in, I was like, I can't afford this. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. So around, around that time or a little bit before that, I decided I was going to do another trip. It was about a year after I got divorced. And I think I just had this not low point, but wondering what am I doing with my life? Everyone's having kids. That's, I thought that was going to be my identity. I very much thought that I was going to be a mom and, and, and have kids and I need to do something big with my life. I can't just be a single person sitting at a desk at work. Like that's not cool enough. So I decided I was going to go to Thailand, which I mean, aside from Spain, I'd never really traveled internationally before. I hadn't even been on a plane until I graduated from college. So it wasn't like travel had been a big part of my life growing up. Um, But there was a woman that I worked with and she and her family, she was a bit older and she had kids, um, but she and her family had gone to Thailand. And so we, during lunch breaks, was in the lunchroom and I had the map of Thailand and she said, okay, this is a great place to stay. This is a good place to do a day trip. This is what you want to do. So she really helped me plan that trip. Um, So between that and Lonely Planet, I was like, okay, I feel comfortable going. And so that was my first foray, like aside from Spain, really into international travel. And I was totally out of my element. I mean, it was a really different experience. It's just such a different culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're so used to, I think because we have such European roots in a lot of ways, right. In America and many of us that like that, that side of the world is very different. Yeah. I mean, just the jet lag that I experienced. I remember when mm-hmm. I came back from it too, I never experienced jet lag from that. And I had a friend from India and I kept telling him, I think I got malaria when I was in Thailand. Like I feel so sick. And he was like, no, 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 it's jet lag. I was like, I've had jet lag. I've been to Europe. Like this isn't jet lag. He was like, no, 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 it's different. When is a, you know, that much of a time difference. And sure enough, it was jet lag, but I was convinced for three days that I was so sick with malaria because that's how awful I felt. So, I mean, it was just very different. Um, So kind of getting used to that, but I would always walk on the wrong side of the sidewalk because they walk on the other side and and I would like try to cross the street wrong. So it, it was just a completely different experience from anything I had ever had before and learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about travel. And I haven't had other trips that are exactly like that one, but in thinking about our conversation, there were some really neat things that I learned from it. And one is that, well, a kind of a funny story. So I went on this elephant trek um, where you got to walk with rescued elephants and feed them bananas and help bathe them in the river. Like it was amazing. But one of the local workers who was there spoke a little bit of English and by far, like his English is much better than my Thai. Like I could say nothing and he could say a few words in English, but he was saying, oh, like, where is your husband? And I was like, oh, no, 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 like, haha, I don't have a husband. He's like, oh, okay, you're a boyfriend. Where's your boyfriend? And I was like, no, I don't have a boyfriend either. He's like, you're here with your friends. 
and I was like, no, I'm I'm not. I'm here by myself. He's like, your friends are back in the hotel. And I'm like, no, like I am in Thailand by myself, like just alone. And he was like, that is so sad. You have no friends. And I was like, oh. I was like, no, I have friends. They're just not here in Thailand with me. Like, but it was this foreign concept and kind of like, yeah, hey, this is this is different for some people to to do that. I'm doing something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. So it was a learning experience for me. I think a learning experience for them. But on this trek, there was another guy who was traveling solo and he was going to meet up with his girlfriend later in his Asia tour. Um, but he was taking a sabbatical. He was from California. And then there was an older Canadian couple and they after that ended up inviting me out to dinner and they said listen before we got married we used to both be solo travelers and we kind of know what it's like so so like why don't you come to dinner with us and they treated me to dinner and it was absolutely lovely and so since that was my first trip it kind of set the stage of solo travelers look out for other solo travelers right and um and i really want to be able to pay that forward and so one of the things that i do because whenever i start a trip i will Google like solo female travelers in whatever country. And there's always like, there's, there's female bloggers out there who have websites that are much richer in information than I could possibly give in one conversation. And so I've come to rely on them as well. Um, But what I do try to do is leave reviews either for Airbnbs or any kind of activity I do or a hotel where I stay and always start it with, as a solo female traveler, I felt safe here. Or, you know, as a solo female traveler, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable walking around after dark just to put that information out there Mm -hmm. so that other women who are in a similar situation can we can help each other. It's a network, right? Like yeah. to put that out there. So I'm very grateful for the women who have gone before me in doing that. And I want to be able to help other women do that too, because it is more empowering and it's more enjoyable when you feel safe and feel like, okay, I can go into this with my eyes wide open. I know what I need to pay attention to. Other women have done this before. I won't be the first. Yeah. Like you're walking in their, their steps yeah. in a lot of ways, knowing that they've been there versus kind of uncharted territory, maybe. Yeah. What did you, so like when you were in Thailand, the, like regarding lodging, like knowing that you were going to be traveling alone, what considerations did you make in terms of where you would stay? Yeah. So I use Lonely Planet when I travel. Okay. Um, and I just buy a book. And actually, I probably have about five Lonely Planet books for countries that I haven't been to yet, but know I want to go to someday. And I read them for fun. So I'm just always thinking about if I see a last minute deal to this country, I want to be prepared. So I want to know what to do. Um, and Lonely Planet, I really like and has served me really well. And I read them cover to cover. And for Thailand in particular, at the end of each chapter, they had different tips. And okay. for a lot of chapters, one of them would be tips for solo female travelers. And for one chapter, it said, women, you know, don't go topless on this beach, even if you see other people, like it's really not a good idea. Um, and then for another chapter, the tip was actually solo female travelers don't come here like it is such a party zone and they have such issues with roofies and and whatnot that it just it's not safe and I was like I'll let someone else do that research for me I don't need to experience that on my own so so trying to do that but all that is to say I usually get my hotel recommendations from Lonely Planet okay um, but go through a lot of different ones and look at the websites and see 
what the neighborhood is, what I can afford, what my itinerary is, matching up with that. But I think pretty much everyone that I've done has been a recommendation from there. Um, and I will say also a fun fact about Thailand is at some point, there's only so many new things you can try in one trip and you want it to be somewhat restful, like adventurous, yes, mm -hmm. but not so overwhelming that every day is mentally exhausting. So the way my itinerary was set up, I was starting in Bangkok and ending in Bangkok and I okay. needed a hotel just for one night. I was going to get in late and my flight was there the next morning. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do any sightseeing. It wasn't like I was going to see a new neighborhood. So I said, I'm just going to come back to the same hotel. And I had booked at the start of the trip and the end of the trip. And it ended up being really neat because the manager recognized me from a week earlier and I was checking in late and it just so happened that their, their honeymoon suite was still available that night. And he was like, you were here before, like you're leaving early, like we're going to give this to you. So it was oh. this beautiful room on the top floor with ornate carved wood and like a bathroom that's probably as big as my current apartment with a private patio. I mean, it was really magical. And I yeah. don't think I would have gotten that if I had just kept going to new places. So there is something about oh about becoming a regular or a local. Mm -hmm. I mean, regular, yeah. you just go twice. It's not being a regular, but to show some kind of connection or to frequent businesses, I found gives you a little bit more of being an insider or when people start to recognize you. It's also a nice connection when you feel mm -hmm. lonely or you feel like you are away from home. If somebody's like, oh, hey, it's you again. Like just to know that you're recognized can be really, really nice. I mean, at the same time, it was also really sad to be like, you're in this beautiful honeymoon suite and have no one to share it with. <laughs> like, yeah. well, it makes me wonder, do you think, I mean, for me, a lot of that, if if I hadn't been working on myself, yeah, would would cause me to spiral into like an existential crisis. Right. You know what I mean? I'm I know that. So I was like, you know, like if someone was like, oh, "Where's your boyfriend? Where are your friend? Right. You know, your friend." You know, I would be like, "What am I doing with my life? You know, right. like what's happening?" And I'm like a freak, or I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, and so right. does did that happen at at those times and you know, what kind of helps you, like when Kelly and I talk about doing yeah. the work, you know, like we're both very candid about going to therapy and yeah. reading books and like all of the things we do to care for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so great question. And I even thinking about solo travel, one of the things I say to folks who are doing it for the first time is just so you know, you are going to have at least one moment of loneliness on your trip. And don't think that you're doing solo travel wrong. Don't think that there's something wrong with you. I have not met a solo traveler who has not had a moment of being like, oh, I'm kind of lonely. It would be great to just say to somebody, how beautiful is the sunset or not read a book alone again at dinner, like to just have conversations. So, so yes, I mean, that definitely happens. And I think now that I recognize it and know that other people experience it as well, it's a little bit less daunting to be like, it's just part of solo travel the same way. Yeah. If I travel with friends or travel in a group, there's going to be times where I'm like, oh my God, I am so sick of people, right? Yeah, you can't, true. You can't have everything all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of my time alone, I do like, but it doesn't mean 100% of the time it's going to be great, but that's just kind of the way the world works. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you when you travel. I um, feel like <laughs> the, I, I don't, and I wouldn't think I'm, you know, I'm the second child and I wouldn't have described myself as type A, but I'm very much a planner now and yeah. very rigid and um 
I have found that the universe has knocked me on my ass several yeah. times. It had to be like several because the first time I was like, that's cute. I'm still going to, I still have control and I'm going to continue right. planning. Right. You are wrong universe and I'm in charge. And then, you know, more shit had to happen to be like, oh, I have no control over anything. Okay. I see you. I see you. Um, but I wondered too, what I'm thinking so much of, did you, did you read Glennon Doyle's Untamed? I did not. Uh, you're probably the ninth person who's told me I should read it. So I, no, I but it just, that. It, but that, no, but that's what it reminds me of. Like what you're talking about is like our society's taming of us, right? Yeah. Like what it, it's like, you need to do this. You should do this. Like when you're saying I need to buy a house, yeah. right? Because that's what you do in this progression of like adulthood and you check these box stuff and you go this way. And I think so many times we don't realize it. You know, or like I know we did like a book club on Untamed a few years ago and Kelly was like, I'm in a cage and a cage and a cage. So Kelly was like, I came out of my first cage, but like I have like I don't even remember saying that sounds really good. That sounds really You don't remember saying that? No. Oh, you did. And then um I just remember like, wow, that's we should have recorded that. (laughs) Yeah, we should have. Um, but it's true, like I I noticed that just little things on my taming you know what i mean like yeah trying to label things put people in boxes just various things and i'm like where is this coming from yeah that you'd have this thought of like this is the way something needs to be you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) do you also what i was going to ask you know in terms of being lonely and i made a comment i think jesse when we were talking about um another episode where when traveling i've had to travel solo for work to india and philippines And um, when you're that loneliness and really feeling out of your element, um, how did it, it made me think more about like the moments when I'm not, you know, like coming back home, being Mm -hmm. like, oh, I have my couch and I have, you know, like, how is that feeling where it's like, I'm more grateful for, I don't know if you've felt that way um, for the moments that you don't feel that way. You know what I mean? Yes, 100%. And I, aside from the big chunks when I've gone to Spain, I've realized that even 10 days is probably too long for me for a solo travel trip. Usually by day eight, I'm like, okay, like I'm ready to start reconnecting with people that I that I know and that I'm yeah. with, not just strangers on a day trip, which is great and has its purpose and its place in a solo travel trip. But by that time, I'm like, oh, it feels good to be excited to come home again. Like it feels good to get back to that routine. And, and usually I'll joke that I need a vacation to recover from the vacation because mm-hmm. it is restful in its own way, but it also can be just so powerful and so overwhelming that I'm like, oh, I'm not ready to jump back into work. Like, I want to think about everything that I just learned and kind of take it in and figure out what I need to appreciate more. So one of the things I've come to do, and a long time ago, a um, a consultant at work had given me the advice, which is never fly home and go to work the next morning. Like, always give yourself a buffer day, even if it's just to do laundry or try to get caught up in sleep. So I really try to make that happen now, too. And that has just made the balance between travel and returning back to work a bit easier. Sometimes it's not always possible and there's only a limited number of vacation days we have and work mm-hmm. calls. So <laughs> you have to do that. Yeah. But. And when you went to Thai- Thailand, uh, was this when you still had the mortgage? No. So I was, I was renting an apartment at that point. Um, So when I went to Spain, um, after I got divorced, I had pretty much planned the whole trip and everything was refundable, but I hadn't bought my plane ticket. And so I was about a month out when I got, and I didn't use a realtor when I sold the house. So 
which in some ways was harder than getting divorced, like selling properties really difficult. Um, so that was stressful on top of an already stressful situation. But the buyer emailed me to say, okay, we got our mortgage commitment. We're officially approved. And that was the last thing we were waiting for to know that there was nothing that was going to be standing in the way of this sale. So it was about 30 days before the travel. I had everything lined up, but that's when I bought my plane ticket. I was like, okay, now I'm going to Spain. Like now it's official. Yeah. Um, so the way it worked out was I was selling my house like at the end of May. And I think I had about a week or two before I left for Spain. And a woman that I work with very generously offered some extra space in her house. So by that point, all my stuff was in storage and I was a guest in her house for two weeks. And the lease that I had signed for the apartment didn't start until September. So I figured, well, like, I don't have a home <laughs> during the summer anyway. Might as well just, instead of renting a random place in Philadelphia, why not rent a random place in Spain? Like that just seems a lot better. <laughs> well, it seems um, like very quickly um, after the divorce, life became nomadic almost. It did. And it's it wasn't by choice. And there's um, there's an author I really like, and she does a lot in the child less child-free community, Jodi Day. And her the title of her book is Living the Life Unexpected. And she talks a lot about if you have hoped or dreamed of having kids, and then that doesn't work out for you and you don't become a mother, like, what is your plan B? And I'm certainly not the only one with a plan B. And if you had told me 20 years ago, you're going to be a single um, living in a studio, no kids, traveling the world at age 44, I'd be like, that sounds awful. Like, why would anyone, like, that's not what I want at all. Um, but life gives you lemons to kind of turn it around a little mm -hmm. bit. And so, yeah, I'm living my plan B and it took a while to get there. And you mentioned therapy earlier. I mean, there were a lot of years of hard work and tears and, yeah. and down moments that got to that. And I remember the first time, actually one of our other social work classmates, I was having, um, I saw her once in New York and we were talking and she was saying, you know, your travel, this, it's really cool. And I was telling my other friend about this friend I have who has this really cool life. And I was like, wait, who are we talking about? I was like, oh, wait, you just call my life cool? Like I was so genuinely shocked uh -huh. that after spending so much time being really envious of other people's lives because they have what I wanted. That yes, I was creating something for myself, but the idea that other people also saw that is cool. It took a long time to get there. Mm, that yeah. didn't that didn't happen right away. So yeah, yeah, it's very interesting that you say that. Like I I I don't know I I don't know if I followed Chelsea Handler or she was on another thing, but um you know she is childless by choice, and yeah. she had a video of like what childless like the day of a childless woman and she was like i get up at 6 45 and then i'm like i don't have to fucking do anything and i go back to bed and then it was like alarm 12 42 this is when i really wake up and she opens a calendar and the calendar says do whatever the fuck i want and then she's like and then like the the conversation on the comments you know where like someone was like you know um, I, I don't have children either and it's by choice. And then people were like, she's rich. I don't know. There was so much hate yeah. and craziness. I was like, yeah. whoa, I didn't know there was like, <laughs> a, especially like, I don't know. I think from the, the work I do of dealing with so much trauma and people who were traumatized by unhealthy parents and they were not born out of choice. I wish more people, my whole thing is like, I wish more people really thought yeah. about what they were doing and the life they want to live and to really live with intention. And it's like, 
when we have a child. That is a lifelong yeah. commitment. And are we thinking about that? And so I wish more people would have those conversations. And I know my middle is yeah. only 12. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to be married. I don't want to have yeah. kids. Yeah. And I have never once said, you should. Or, you know, right. I'm very like, I said, tell me more about that. And I said, he was like, well, I want to have money. And I'm like, and you will have more money. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. Like, you'll have more money. And I say, you know, having a child is a lifelong commitment. And if you don't like kids, I think that sounds like that's a great choice for you, you know. But like, yeah. I don't imagine, I couldn't imagine the way we grew up, anybody saying that. I would be like, you're, I probably would think you're weird. Yep. You know, well, it was like either you get know. married or you become a nun kind of a thing. Yeah, right. Like yeah. It we were, there wasn't a lot of in between Catholicism with our childhood. So, right. It would be yeah. those are your choices. Right. Yeah. And so um, I think that's coming out more. I love hearing about that book. I love hearing about the author because yeah. you're right. Even though you were in it because it felt like. Um, you were forced to have that choice. It mm-hmm. was hard to kind of see mm-hmm. it, see it as um, from from a side of um, what I want to say, like gratitude or like, you yeah. know, it's like sometimes we look at what we can't have and then yes. we're not looking over here like, oh, wait, yeah. there's all this here too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's like, you inspire me so much. Um, Emily's holiday card was like, you bought this, what, what is that? 400, 450 square foot? It's 410. So I'm going to be 410 square foot. Yeah. And yeah. you were like in my, you know, desire to live, you know, minimally. And so yeah. I like text, I was like, oh my God. Like you inspire me and you were like, you have children, you know, but it's like, (laughs) I can't, you know, pare down. Well, I mean, I could, people do, and that's great. And I love looking at van life. I like have a board. I will live in a van and my daughter will go with me. Her and I want like a tiny home. We talk about this all the time. And, but I looked up living minimally and have been researching it. And that's my goal to start doing that. And I think for, it doesn't mean that you have to live in a tiny place, but what I have found was that like everything you have is useful, intentional and purposeful. Mm -hmm. And that, that your, to me, like your purchases and lifestyle reflect what's important Mm -hmm. to you. So I'm not ordering crap from Amazon and just ordering all this stuff and continually just buying crap, but it's like, Oh, does this have a place in my life? You know, what am I saying? My, priorities are and does that reflect you know my priorities it kind of reminds me of the jay shetty's book think like a monk but like that anyway that you know you're purposeful and intentional with things but are you um following anything on living minimally or where does that come from for you yeah so i i mean for me it was partially by necessity right because i and, and let me pause for a minute just to talk about how living minimally and travel started to overlap. And it was about a three-year period where they really started to bridge. And I was on a solo trip in, for that trip, I went to the Czech Republic and then I went to Hungary. So I was in Prague and I had rented this adorable Airbnb and super tiny and had a lofted bed and maybe a chair in the living room and no couch and a tiny kitchen that I didn't use because I was eating out at outdoor restaurants all the time. And I remember sitting in the bathroom that was so so tiny that when you sat on the toilet, your feet were in the shower. Like it was so tiny. Mm. And in that moment, I was like, this is the life. Like, even though I'm in this tiny little spot, I am relaxed. I can do whatever I want today. I'm seeing these beautiful sights and had this moment of, duh, like, why don't I try to do this all the time? Why am I in this rat race? This Mm -hmm. is a much more enjoyable way to live and started thinking, okay, that means I need to 
be more intentional about how I spend my money. I need to save more. And I still ended up buying that condo that was too expensive for me after that. So it obviously wasn't a moment where I just got it right. It's it was a lot still, of work. It's like it a trained thing. <laughs> It was still a learning experience. So I, I bought the condo and one of the resources I really love is House. Do you follow that at all? Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So like their newsletters come out twice a week and I read all the articles. And one of the women who was a columnist for them or, or was a contributor um, did a lot on organizing and decluttering. And so I always loved her columns and then found out that she was going to do uh, an online course uh, Cultivating Simple, I think was the name of it. Her name is Laura Gaskell. And so I signed up right away. And it was this guided online course with a small group of people. I think it ended up being all women. I don't know if it had to be, um, with some mutual support sessions and chat sessions and really guided tips about how to start decluttering um, in an actual, not just start randomly cleaning out drawers, but we're going to start with clothing. We're going to move to Mm -hmm. kitchen. We're going to save sentimental objects for the end because those are the hardest, but let's build up to that. And so doing that, the amount of stuff that I got rid of from that, and I lived in center city, Philadelphia in a like third story walk up condo and on a street, people just put their like take for free things out on the sidewalk. So there was a whole span of Saturdays that spring where every Saturday I would carry down five boxes of stuff to the sidewalk and say free. And at the end of the day, be like, okay, people took 90% of it. The rest of it, I guess, either is going to Goodwill or is going to become trash. But between that and the buy nothing group on Facebook, I mean, the records that my buy nothing group probably has of the amount of stuff I got rid of. So that was a process. And then once I got rid of all that stuff, I was like, hey, I can live in less space now. I don't need this place. So it was a pretty fast decision where I started looking for studios um, and just wanted to downsize and something smaller. I was working with a realtor and called him up and said, hey, there's two condos in this building. I want to look at them. They were the identical floor plan, but one was on a higher floor. And we left. I was like, I think I want to buy it. Um, So it it really happened that quickly. And then about a week later, I left for a vacation in Jordan. So that one wasn't solo. I was traveling with a friend and her boyfriend. And I remember being in the hotel room doing all of the paperwork at night to put in the offer and to get the Mm -hmm. pre-approval for the mortgage. And my realtor was great. There were a lot of things with firewalls where I couldn't access bank accounts from Jordan Wi-Fi. And it was really complicated. But we were in the middle of Wadi Rum Desert at this campsite that had, you know, these amazing tents. Um, and we were sitting in an open patio with cushions on the ground, just staring at beautiful red rocks. That's actually where, um, what's the movie with Matt Damon where he's on Mars? The Martian, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it was filmed there. And so <laughs> oh, cool. just like this stunning landscape. And I got the phone call from my lawyer saying your offer or from my realtor saying your offer has been accepted. And I just remember being like, yep, that is the right thing. That is the next step. And there was none of the anxiety that I felt when I bought the first condo and just like, this is the next best step for me, because truly I'm sitting here with a book and a bottle of water and I'm as happy as can be. Like, I don't need any of that stuff. So it just kind of became and it's addicting too. The more you get rid of and the more you feel like a weight is being lifted off your shoulders. I'm like, oh, what else can I get rid of? And it's become a joke in my family where I talk to my parents and I'm like, so what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, decluttering. They're like, how do you have anything left to declutter? You've been doing that for two years. Like, what is possibly left for you? But it, so. yes, we have neighbors across the street and they're an older couple and they always have bags out donating yeah. for whoever's coming. And I'm always like, I mean, we lived here 15 years. Like how much 
like we came there in their 60s you know like how much are they continually getting right, right. rid of but I, but it also was crazy we um i cleaned my eight-year-old's room which was just so horrible and um <laughs> gave away so much and you it feels gross mm-hmm. if this makes sense but you're like 10 trash bags trash bags yeah. tra- you know of all of yeah. this stuff and you're like where the hell is this coming from and it doesn't feel right and it's like i love that idea of being intentional and so i've even been inspiring other people because i'm like just start with a bin right mm-hmm. like we did our we're doing our garage a little bit and i'm like just bring a bin in you know, and just go through the bin or go through a shelf or a drawer or like, you don't have to think like, oh, I need this whole room, but it's like, just start slowly paring things down. And you're right, because it feels so good. And when you're in the room, like for me, I'm in the suburbs in a big house, you know, and when you're in the room that's yeah. decluttered and everything's purposeful, intentional, you just want to be in that room, right. you know? And so it's like, how can we make all the rooms feel that way? And I just, I love what you're saying, because I know Kelly and I love travel so much and it's just like when you do that then you have more time energy and money mm-hmm. to go towards what you really care about because yeah. you're not taking the stuff with you when you go so what's happening with this accumulating crap you know right and i also want to put it out there i mean i obviously recognize it's easy for me to live in a 410 square foot studio because i live alone and i couldn't do that if i had kids you and could. I mean, of course you could i, I mean well, I, yeah right. you could. some people could i personally could not like right. I, I know that about myself like i yes. need my own space so yeah. this works for me and i think 410 square feet is small, but then I, I went to Tiny Fest in California and looked at tiny houses where people doing the van life and all that. I'm like, well, that's really small. Like I couldn't do that. And they probably look at me and they're like, she thinks she's living tiny. She's in 410 square feet. No way. Right. <laughs> so we all have our different, yes, what works yeah. for us. And it doesn't mean that if you want to be a minimalist, you must live in under 500 square feet or under 300 square feet. It is, we all have ways that we can incorporate that. And there isn't a right or a wrong way. And it's still a journey for me too. Like I still would like to be more sustainable in what I buy or, Mm -hmm. and I also recognize the irony of wanting to be sustainable and traveling the world on a plane. Like those two things are not really compatible. Um, But that's, that's (laughs) I feel like that's our taming of trying to put everything in a box, right? Well, like if it's minimal, this is minimal, this isn't minimal. Like there was a time where I was completely off paper towels, paper products, (laughs) paper and use, you know, and then I'm on again, you know, I think that for all of us, it's, it's difficult to, um, but I, I, I think it, to live perfectly, to live exactly that your lifestyle reflects all of your values. hundred percent. I think that's difficult, but it's more that we're trying just like with anything. It's like, I'm trying my best. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just trying, you know? Yeah. So Emily, how is it, how do you balance, you know, having a career with some of this too, right? Um, With your travel, like taking chunks of time off, um, yeah. how do, if people want every, I'm, I, I love hearing about this. I'm very envious <laughs> as well. You are definitely my hero. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> but how do you, yeah. How do you balance that? Yeah. So I work in higher ed. So we are very much on the academic year calendar. So there are certain times of the year that I cannot be gone, right? I can't be gone during new student orientation. I can't be gone during graduation. Things often can be quieter in the summer, but part of me enjoys not traveling in the summer when the rest of the world is on vacation. I think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, certainly rates are a little bit lower if you go off season. The crowds are less. I like having more space to myself and not being around the crowds. So um, I have been very lucky in that I have have 
I mean, one of the benefits in working in higher ed is probably the vacation time, not necessarily the salary quite as much. So I have a good amount of vacation time. And when I talk to other friends in other industries, my question usually is, so tell me about your vacation time. Like, it's just something I always want to know about. And how do you maximize it? And how do you make it work? Um, This wasn't a solo trip, but last summer I went to Ireland with two friends and we flew in on a, we left here on a Wednesday night and got there on a Thursday morning and ended up flying back Tuesday morning. So it was a very short trip. And we still talk about how much we were able to pack into that trip. We're like, it felt like forever. So I think that, yes, there's certainly an expense with flying someplace and you don't want to just fly there and only get two days from it. But depending on the cost of a flight or where you're going to be, it's okay to do shorter trips. And and we got so much out of that trip and it wasn't a 10 day epic vacation mm-hmm. and Ireland's also closer than a lot of other destinations mm-hmm. so it was okay for that but um you know how can you make your vacation time work for you and I'm still jealous of people who are like I get a sabbatical and I'm going to, I'm like mm-hmm. what do I need to do to get a sabbatical <laughs> like, yeah. I want to be able to take six months off that's my goal like not just right. having six weeks of vacation a year which I know is still very generous and I think we should be more like Europeans and be like we're taking August off like yeah, yeah. just like no, take yeah, August I, off I, I, I look maybe back. it should be like October when yeah. nobody else is getting an offer right. <laughs> but, I, but I look back my first job and I I got two weeks vacation. I remember yeah. everyone was like, that's so amazing. And it's so depressing. Yeah. I have <clears throat> not worked for anybody. Um, I don't even know since 2008, <laughs> I, you know, and so spoiled. And I started working for a boys town in um, what 2014 or something, just for a little bit. I had a friend that was a director and I was working and they had all of these things they wanted me to do. And I was like, Oh, yeah. I can't work for anybody anymore. Yeah. You know, it was like, you have to come to this meeting and where are you? And where's your time off? When I had my baby, they were like, yeah. you need to come back immediately. Uh, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm not coming back. Like, yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, <laughs> you know, I've just worked for myself for such a long time. And it is all those things you don't think about that. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, you'd have to like go there a certain time and you can't just leave when you want or, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, I, I, it's tough. And like you said, in the, in America, I think how, how, I think that's how it is. And we interviewed, um, um, our friend Jillian from, um, Sprit Sunday and, uh, for travel. And just like what you're saying, you know, I, I think sometimes it's like, we think it has to be this whole thing and you need two weeks off if you go here but it's like you can search fairs and just like jet off somewhere just for like a long weekend if there's a three-day weekend or something like that and like no it's not this you know two-week holiday but there are there's a lot that you can do in a short amount of time so it doesn't have to be this huge deal where you have to take time off right you can make it work in your schedule anyway if if you don't have the luxury um that i know the three of us do of having quite a bit of uh, more flexibility in our schedule and the ability to take a little bit more off than other people yeah and and to your question kelly i think one of the things that um is interesting is one of the things I like about traveling internationally is when I put up my out of office message to be able to say, I am traveling internationally and therefore I won't have access to email. It just seems to have mm-hmm. like yes. more gravitas where it's like, yeah. I'm not going to have people will leave where, you alone more. Like, yeah. And, and I shouldn't have to do that, right? It's my vacation yeah. time. I should be able to go an hour outside of the city and still be on vacation. But I feel like I need to prove something with why I'm not responding to emails. And again, I will say I'm very lucky. And I've also been my employer for a while. And I feel 
like I am able to go on vacation and not check email. And again, if there's ever, and there never has been in all the years I've been traveling, but if there is truly an emergency, like they can call and leave a voicemail when I'm back on cell reception, I could call back. That's never happened. And I think I've been doing it enough where I'm like, I move my work email to the second screen of my phone so that I don't see it when I'm on vacation. I know some people actually mm-hmm. take it off their phone mm-hmm. um, and not every job allows you to do that, but I'm, that's very important to me that when I am on vacation, I can actually disconnect and boundaries. And I had um, an an old boss at one point, and he said that everyone should take at least three weeks of vacation at a time, because the first week of vacation, you are just spending, thinking about all the things you didn't finish at work. And then by the second week, you're kind of relaxed enough to be on vacation. But then by the third week, you're already starting to think about going back to work and you're anxious again. So in order to get one week off, you need to take three weeks off, like really give yourself that mental space. And again, a bit of a dream and not something that most of us can do, but things to aspire to for sure. Yeah, I actually like, do yeah. when I when I work people I work with when I see the out of box internet or out of office international, I'm like, oh, well, they're not yeah. going to be reading this till they get back. Or versus like domestic, which is that's actually kind of like like you're saying that's so unfortunate to like as a business person or just as an American that you think ah if they're if they're still domestic, and also like when you're out, just that catch up time when you come back, yeah, and the dread of all of that. So there's a lot of stuff that we have to work on, I think, to kind of have it be more embraced. I think it's changed a little bit with COVID in some way too. Um, I notice people are taking more time and Mm -hmm. longer time than they did before. Um, And I think employers are a little more forgiving. Not everybody, but I've noticed almost like a trend in that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we can continue to move yes. the needle forward. In that yeah. regard. <laughs> I think about Kelly and I talked um, about quiet quitting. Did you read about that phenomenon? Yes. Yes. My, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, uh, that's called boundaries. I've been talking about yeah. that for like 20 years. I've been telling my clients like emotionally disengage, like show up and then leave. And then, you know what I mean? But it, it's, it's like, it's like has to be a, a movement of yeah. us being like, you know, uh, you, your work isn't your everything, yeah. you know? It's definitely the culture brand. Um, I know you yeah. talked about having books on your shelf yeah. that um, <laughs> a place you haven't gone yet, but like what um, goes into selecting the destination or where you're going to go next? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I just have a running list. I have a chalkboard wall and I just add to it. I cross stuff off and I'm like, this is what I'm feeling like now. So again, reading in advance and knowing what's the good time of year to go. Do you need, one of the things on my list is to do Machu Picchu mm-hmm. before I, I can do that. that. Like, exactly yeah. <laughs> like I would love to, but also I'll be honest, like I am not in great shape and I think I'd have trouble doing all of that hiking. So that is one of the things, if I do that, I need to really commit and I need to do the stair climber at the gym a lot or do local hikes like I can't just jump into it but there's other trips where I could at the drop of a dime I would be ready to go and it wouldn't require prep work um there's some places that are on my travel list that I probably won't travel alone to and so I know that I'm either going to be looking for friends to go or there's a couple of companies that you might have heard about that do group travel for solo travelers so you show up alone but then you get to travel with a group and I have friends who have done a flash pack uh, G adventures is one of them there's another one I have my eye on now culture trip and so they're small groups and they're designed 
for some of them are age related, like in your 30s or 40s for people who are traveling okay. alone. So all of that. So some of the destinations that I probably wouldn't do a solo trip to, I have my eye on those. Um, but just again, doing all this research so that if I am ever in touch with someone, they're like, I really want to go to Vietnam. I'm like, I do too. And, and that one I might do alone, but to find someone who would want to go just to have this running list of. And you said I, it was yeah. G Adventures Culture G Adventures. Trip. And what was and the other one? A flash pack. And I can send you all flash those links pack. too. Yeah. And like full disclosure, I haven't been on any of those, but yeah. I follow their sites and I know people who have been on the first two. And then the third one is on my radar. So yeah. Um, but like Argentina, I really want to go, but I want to go in the summer. So that means winter here. So what would the vacation mm-hmm. schedule be? So just, there's always these moving parts and usually it's kind of a last minute decision where either a good deal comes along or the timing is right for vacation. I'm burned out at work and I'm like, I have to get away. Like, okay, what month is it? Where can I go? Like, I'm going to pick something from that list or I read something or see a, see a show that really inspires me. Mm-hmm. If you haven't watched White Lotus yet, like everyone I've seen or everyone I've talked to who has seen it they're like i want to go to sicily <laughs> so that kind of inspiration have you seen it? do you want to go to sicily i i do i have seen it i now want to go there i mean i want to go to italy and the amalfi coast anyway i've yeah. been to parts of italy but not there so um i highly recommend it as a side note very entertaining yeah. everyone's <laughs> like you gotta get to the first season, episode so. I, i'm yeah. like my husband and i were like yeah everyone this was like yeah. even before it's as yeah. big as it is now and i was like i don't know what's happening Oh, it's really good. And then everyone's like, get through it. But you know what I tell people all the time? I think it's similar for the line of work that that my husband is in. But like it's drama, drama, right? Yeah. Like my work is very heavy. And so if it's a show that like is like triggering or like yeah. emotional or bad things are happening, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm good. Like that's my life. And so I need like more <laughs> fantasy a little bit. But everyone's that I'm like, you know, when you feel like you're missing the right cultural phenomenon you're like oh maybe i should it's not (laughs) heavy though i think that's the great part about that show is we have to think some ways they make they make light (laughs) of things that are heavy what am i okay this is white lotus where the girl it's her first day of work and she's pregnant and she's trying to act like she's not having a baby yes that's, I don't right. know if that's the first episode, that's but that was one. There's a lot of storylines. Yeah. Yeah. That was like super heavy. No, not for you. Guys. Well, they make it so they make a lot yeah. of it. <laughs> it is. And as you continue to watch, like as you continue to watch for me, I mean, I was a, a waitress in college. And so being in the service industry and dealing with kind of that level of chaos sometimes and, and the entitlement that people sometimes show. And you're like, oh, my God, I want to jump out a window right now. Um, knowing the other people in the show, they show that side, too. And I'm like, I can totally relate to that. Like, it's very affirming and validating as well at the same time as being like, oh my God, this is what I experienced to be like, yeah, they're reacting the same way I would want to. <laughs> I guess I'll have to give it a yeah. go. You know, I'll, I'll try to focus on the, um, the, the atmosphere of the location. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I don't think I went as far as sleep, but I saw, I mean, the Amalfi coast, yeah. oh, that is just, mm-hmm beautiful and amazing mm-hmm. and Cinque Terre did you did you do Cinque that's Terre? on my bucket list I haven't done that one either yeah. um, I don't know it's like I was like 20 or 21 so you talk about being in shape yeah like we're hiking <laughs> but was I just in amazing shape and like how would that be now going back would I be like whoo 
<laughs> we'll have some stairs and hiking <laughs> on from five cities. But at the time, we're like, do do do. You're probably like hungover and didn't even know what we were right. doing. Right, right. Like I would love to do a bike trip through um, southern France, and there's a castle that I want to end up at, kind of like this fortified city. And I'm like, I could take my bike out in Philadelphia, and after two hours, I'm like, oh, I can't move my legs. I'm like, I am not in shape to do that yet. Like I would have to build up to that. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of reach trips that require mm-hmm. more yeah, preparation than others. <laughs> yeah. when we were in, um, Justin and I did a, like a three week trip to Eastern Europe, like in 2018. And oh, cool. we were at dinner, like at a small restaurant, I think in Prague, which I loved Prague yeah. so much. And there was this uh, couple and they're from Canada. And I think sometimes, right, when you're traveling, you hear someone speaking English, you're just yeah. like, oh, hey, where are you from? Yeah. I think the same language. And they were traveling the world. And I was asking her, um, they were in their 50s, maybe 60s. Yeah. And I was like, how did you pack? Because I was trying to pack for these three weeks. Great. And, you know, and she was like talking about how she packed and where they went and they did a bike tour or whatever they biked on one of the things I forgot where they were and I kind of asking her how it happened and where you start your journey it was so cool to hear her talking about how she packed for it and everything and I was like that's that's amazing I think we think sometimes it's totally out of reach but they had planned I forget how long they were traveling but just like just totally trying to do around the world trip together, which was so cool. And also they were so much older. And again, we talk about our taming or whatever, but we can do that at any time. And um, that was really cool and inspiring. Yeah. Emily, you talked, you gave us a lot of great tips already um, that we took, I took some notes on. (laughs) What are some, what are some other tips that you maybe haven't yet mentioned or that you want to make sure that our listeners know about? Yeah. So I guess one of the tips I have would be for, for women who are starting off on solo travel, not those who have already been doing it for Mm -hmm. a while. But I think that it's okay to start small, especially in this Instagram world where people are posting these epic, amazing vacations where Mm -hmm. it's just the trip of a lifetime. That doesn't have to be your first solo trip. Like, again, we talked about you can start small, but it also means maybe there's just one piece outside of your comfort zone that you're going to do, which is you've never traveled internationally alone, but you go to an English speaking country, you go to London Mm -hmm. instead, and you don't have the barrier of language as well, but you're still in a new place. Or maybe you go to a country where you don't speak the language, but you're going to stay at a hotel where they have a lot of services or a concierge who can help you with a lot of things. And you're not going to do all of it on your own. So maybe you have a goal in mind. And I would just say really focus on what is your reason for wanting to travel? Not just like, I should do this because people say travel is good for self-care and therefore I should go. Like, what do you want to get out? of it? Is it a chance to rest and and really take a break and you just want to sit and read a book by a pool? Is there something that you have been really wanting to try, like a bike trip or to go up in a hot air balloon or you're a big fan of cooking and you want to take cooking classes in another country? Like, do you have a purpose or is there a reason? And to, to really figure out why you're doing solo travel, I think can help cut down on the loneliness a little bit, but also it makes it easier to rein in because there are millions of options and millions mm-hmm. of things you can do. And it can be overwhelming to think about, okay, I'm going to be by myself. What do I do? If you can, I mean, we're, we're talking about trying to break out of the cage, but if you can like bring in the boundaries a little bit, so it's not so 
overwhelming, I think that that can be a really good way to start. And you don't have to do it all in one trip. There will be other trips, you know, challenge yourself a little bit, but not so much that it becomes painful and uncomfortable and you don't want to do it because you're dreading it. Um, You know, just baby steps is completely fine to to get there. Um, And then some other trips, I guess this goes back to, to being the planner. And when I worked at a domestic violence shelter, one of my roles was to lead the safety planning group. And I think that that has just always stuck with me. And friends have joked that my nickname should be worst case scenario, Emily. Like I really plan, like, what do you need to do in advance to make sure that things go well? And, you know, as my life demonstrates, you can do all the planning you want. And it doesn't mean that things are going to go that way. But I like to be adventurous, but I am very risk adverse. And certainly there are travelers out there who are like, it's fine. Like, I don't need to spend time doing all of this. But for me, and if women are having some hesitation about traveling alone, I think that the planning and the preparation can really ease a lot of those concerns. So I always make sure that somebody has my itinerary. It's usually my mom, um, but the the phone number of the hotels where I'm staying at, my flight numbers, what I'm going to be doing. This might seem a bit extreme, but the State Department has the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. Mm -hmm. So I will register my travel if I'm going to, to be gone. I'll check out the State Department website for travel advisories for a specific uh, country or city that I'm going to Mm -hmm. and and try to get a sense of what I need to be prepared for. Um, Certainly research. I mentioned Lonely Planet earlier, but you don't know what you don't know. And you're never going to learn it all before you go. But there are sometimes some really important cultural tips that you should know before you go Mm -hmm. to another place. Um, And you're your experience is going to be much better if you are prepared for that. Um, when I went to Jordan, when I talked about that earlier, and that was with a friend and her boyfriend, and she is Muslim and has a very Muslim name. And so we were traveling from Jordan and then going to Israel. So we had to cross the border. And she had done some research that it is difficult, or there's added levels of difficulty for Muslim travelers to get into Israel. And she knew that, and we were prepared for it. And they offered a VIP package, which essentially was a private like a private driver to the border and we got a pass for the lounge where there were snacks and tea and it it was good we got it because we were there for a solid four hours i mean her boyfriend and i were cleared to go through like that but we waited with her but also knowing that it wasn't her i think cut down on some of the anxiety that could have come from that like she knew this is going to likely happen and it wasn't that she did something wrong so just that level of of preparation can be really helpful Oh, I continue to learn more about myself each time I travel. And so for me, I am gluten-free and I've had enough experiences where I order the gluten-free meal on a flight, but then my flight gets changed and they don't get the memo. And then I'm eight hours on a plane with nothing to eat. So Mm -hmm. I usually dump two bags of granola-free protein bars or gluten-free protein bars in my suitcase and I'll ration them out. So I at least have one thing I can eat each day. And TripAdvisor is great for gluten-free restaurants in a city or trying to find other reviews, but I now make sure that I will have at least some snacks if I am in a country where it's really hard to find gluten-free food. And I think I'm allergic to every bug in the world. So I make sure Benadryl is in my carry-on bag and the arsenal of medication that I bring each time I travel grows a little bit. So now I bring antibiotics and now I bring extra Benadryl and now I bring eye drops because each time, you know, 
know, have these little mm. things. And mm-hmm. even if you don't have them, I was able to go to a pharmacy in Thailand and get the antibiotic that I needed. And, and that was a great experience in, in and of itself, but also traveling alone, it can just be a little bit scarier. So I just think if you can be as prepared as possible, it can cut down on some of the stress. Um, yes. And then I guess the last thing that, well, maybe the last two things that I'll say, one of them is if you're traveling to a country that doesn't where English isn't their language, if you can just learn please, thank you, and hello in their language, that goes a really long way um, to show some respect for your hosts, mm-hmm. for the country that you're in. And I think that people really take kindly to that and appreciate any amount of effort. I mean, I've tried to learn Icelandic. I've tried to learn Hungarian. I think I could say thank you. Like, that was all I could mm-hmm. could muster after three months of pre-trip listening to learn Icelandic on the way to work. Like it just, it was a hard one, Um, but anything you can do helps. And then the last one is, do you have some kind of portable hobby? Because this goes back to the loneliness piece a little bit. If you are feeling lonely, sitting and just eating dinner alone is one thing, but could you be reading a book? Do you really like to read? I heard someone on a podcast once and her thing was sketching. So she always brought a sketchbook so that she could be doing something. Another friend mentioned that she really likes to journal when she's traveling. Um, I was friends with, I have a a male friend who also did a lot of solo travel and I know it's a little bit different. And I think the world is very different for solo male travelers and female travelers. And it's almost kind of funny, but he said that he always felt like he was the creepy guy, just alone watching other people if he was in a, in a location and was freaking people out. And so he bought a really nice camera and he would travel with that. He's like, suddenly when you're taking pictures and you look like you have a purpose, people don't think that you're quite as creepy. And I'm like, okay, so how can women not feel vulnerable? Like that's our version of like, I don't care if people think I'm creepy. Hopefully they'll stay away from me. Like that would be great, but like, how can I not be vulnerable? So does it mean that you like to take pictures and you have that purpose of being by yourself, but you're doing photography. So just something that you don't feel completely like you're floating around without a purpose. Mm-hmm. If you have something that you can focus on, I think it can make it a little bit easier to be like, no, I, I am supposed to be here. Like I have the confidence and I am doing this. So I think that those would be my, my starter tips for folks who are thinking about traveling alone. These are great. Yes. <laughs> They're so good. Thank you. Um, I mean, I'm glad that my travels can pay off a little bit. So hopefully after, and I still learn like every trip, every trip I learn something new and we could talk, like I could write a book about them. Maybe I'll write a book someday, but, um, (laughs) but I think it's a really empowering thing to do and just a really neat way to, to treat yourself and, and have a little bit of a break from what can often be a really hectic life for all of us. Mm -hmm. I love that. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for taking your time and joining us today. Oh, thank um, you. I, I, I <laughs> thank just, you, and, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Yes. Um, I, I love it. Thank you. It was really fun. Thanks for listening and joining us today. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Chasing Brighter or on our blog, ChasingBrighter.com.